Now, when this series called Marketplace Monster, the series had this in mind. We desire every year we are able to do a marketplace-focused series. Uh, but this year, we do it in a way that how when all of us step into the marketplace, uh, we then realize there are things in the marketplace that potentially cause certain, we name it and term it monsters, that will be lurking in our soul. Things that you never knew it was there. Now it gets more and more visible. It is true in life that the environment that we are in potentially brings out either the best and or the worst, which is why COVID brings out things that you did not realize it was there in your heart. So when I think through the marketplace context, I can think of the many junior engineers when I was working for Datacraft. Uh, they will come in, whether it's junior sales or whatever, they'll be very sheepish, they'll be very scared, they're very polite. Thank you, thank you, sir, you know, whatever. But one month, two months, three months down the road, their true colour comes out. They curse like anybody. They, the morality was compromised. Uh, they potentially just gotten married, but they will have a one-night stand when they took a whole bunch of clients out for a one-night stand. So all of a sudden, you saw a person evolve and change in their morality. You saw someone that was very afraid of now, right after the office hours, they gathered with a whole bunch of engineers watching porn together, laughing together, uh, which when they first came in, they were very polite. Oh, no, 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 I, I'm not into that. And now they were just exactly like them. And how certain things, especially when you step into the marketplace, the things that is embedded in your heart, it comes out. And as we do this series, we are trying to narrow down to only three that lurks in our heart, all right? So I'm going to begin with one of the verses for this particular series, Proverbs 4.23, which you say together, one to go, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I think that's very clear. Uh, everything that we do really stems out from our heart. So in this series, we are trying to cover the comparison challenge or uh, the comparison monster, which is envy. And then Pastor Sean kickstart us with that little series and how every one of us step into the marketplace. We have this, we have this, uh, the comparison within us. Uh, seems to stand out. I still remember when I was working in the marketplace, uh, uh, all the managerial level, they are very good at sizing up a person. They'll meet up a client, and then right after that, when we debrief, uh, my boss will debrief about, you know, this person wear this kind of branded clothes, this kind of carry, what kinds of bag, what kind of shoes, and will size up a person's salary range. Oh, that was how interesting the conversation goes through, okay? Uh, but every one of us, indirectly, we can fall into that trap. What car you drive, what clothes you wear, what bags you have, okay? And then we deal with fear. Fear was something that's very real. Uh, whether do I have enough and uh, will I make it? And all this are very real. And today, we're going to talk about greed. Uh, we call it a greed goblin, but it is really greed that lurking in everyone's heart. Let me just make a couple of statements about greed, okay? I think what is true is this. Uh, greed exists in every one of our hearts. As a pastor, I have never had anyone who came for prayer altar and said, could you pray for me because I'm greedy? Never. I never can think of it. Most of people come for prayer because I've got this need. Most of people come for prayer because I'm in this problem. But nobody has admitted that I got a greed problem. But greed exists in every one of us, whether you like it or not. That's because greed disguises itself very well. 
Greed doesn't say I'm greedy, but greed comes in a form of I'm a good planner. That's why I'm trying to do something so that... Or greed sometimes can even come in an area of I'm trying to save, but actually behind you, you're trying to save so that you have more and more. And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a, a never satisfied, never contented kind of way, and you always feel that you're not enough. So greed doesn't come forth very apparently, but when you think through, every one of us do struggle with some form of greed. The world is very driven by greed. When the Lehman Brothers 10 years ago, where the whole downfall, uh, a, a very potent article said this. You know, it says, what caused all this is because of greed. The consumer were greedy. The, the developer was greedy. The banking, the fund manager, everybody was greedy. So we took a product that doesn't have that value and we washed it up to such a value and when the bubble burst, everything burst. It was driven by greed. There were one time because of what we call a compression loan, a lot of people tried to get as many properties and thinking that some of this investment, eventually you can rent it out and it can self-support it. But now during the financial crisis or during COVID, everything collapsed. So you got a lot of people right now, they got debts that they do not know how to handle. Uh, which is why I was talking to someone who told me that every day there are how many hundreds of condos right now is being auctioned because of greed. How many of us are into money game that promises a high return and in a short while, the entire thing collapsed? And I think not too long ago, there was a particular system that which I know some of our church people were in it and then it collapsed. Now, all of a sudden, everybody is asking why. Now, of course, if you have the financial extra, that means nothing. You may potentially jump into another game. But all this, it was driven now, you can say it in such a way that I'm trying to do it so that I got financial security for my family, but sometimes it can be greed. So how in the world are we going to draw that line? So as we kind of deal with this topic today, and then we're going to have dialogue, we are more than happy to address this, and hopefully you, every one of us can walk away with a check in your heart and be able to say that, God, that's not the direction I want to go. All right, now, so this is what the Bible says. I'm going to begin with 1 Timothy 6, and then a particular parable that Jesus tells, which di directly deal with the issue of greed. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and 10, Paul says, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, which we talk a lot on contentment, okay? But we have no time to talk about that today. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, which is so true. That's a very simple logic, uh, which means that it's not the abundance of possession that you have that really measure who you are because you cannot take anything away out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, which is very true because we want to get rich quick, greedy, we invest more, we push ourselves beyond our limit and then we are trapped. And it comes with all kinds of pressure that we have to navigate. For the love of money, obviously it's not the money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many grief. You know, when you think through this particular passage, the Bible was very clear. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that greed creates a snare. 
So the moment I am driven by greed, I'm actually setting up, building up a trap for me that once I fall into it, I may not be able to get out of it. When you think through this little space, you can think of the many different men and women of God in the Bible. I can think about when the nation of Israel was out and then to the promised land, they conquered Jericho, and then the second piece of city called AI, AI, artificial intelligence, and there was this person by the name of Achan, or some call it Atan, okay, who took the money and he kept it, and God actually judged the nation of his whole entire family because of that one deed. Then you got King Saul, who defeated the Philistine, the Bible says, and he took all the, all their livestock, whatever, and they kept it. And God gave him a clear warning, don't do that. And he was judged by that. You can think through Eli, the high priest, and his two sons, who were not only immoral, but took all the tithe and offering that goes to the temple and used it for themselves, and God judged them for that. Potentially, one of the most sad story in the Bible was the story of Gehazi. How many of you heard of Gehazi? Some of you, that's pretty hazy already, okay? But Gehazi is actually a prophet. So if you are someone who reads the Bible, you got Elijah, a prophet that did seven miraculous records in the Bible. Then you got his disciple, which is Elijah, which, do, which did 14 miracles recorded in the Bible. Gehazi was the third one on the line to do potentially 28 miracles. But the Bible tells of one day, because of greed, Gehazi set up a snare that eventually he fell into the trap. And the story was uh, a Syrian general by the name of Naaman who contracted leprosy. And Mrs. Naaman has a slave girl and she was from Israel. And one day the slave girl went to Mrs. Naaman and told Mrs. Naaman that, you know, I wish my master will get to meet a prophet in Israel which will help him with his leprosy disease. And the story goes that Naaman then got the contact and dished together uh, some army, went over to Israel uh, so that he's able to meet Elisha the prophet. So the story goes that when he knocked on Elisha's door, Elisha says, you know what, I want you to go to the river and wash yourself seven times. And there was a mix of emotion by then. He says, I've got so many rivers in Syria, why must I wash? But nevertheless, he humbled himself. And the Bible says, after seven times, the leprosy was gone. And then he was so happy, he came to Elisha and says, how can I reward you? And he says, I, I prepared myself some, some, some gifts, some money, maybe, I don't know, some nice, whatever, Syrian goodies, you know, he says, can I give it to you? And Elisha said, no, 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 you don't have to. Please bring it back to your home. I'm happy to be a blessing to you. While that conversation is happening, the Bible says of Gehazi, which is next to Elisha. He was listening and absorbing everything. And then the Bible says he talked to himself. You know, greed has a voice in our heart. And he talked to himself. He says that, what if this money, we can take some and I can use it for investment. I, I buy a piece of land and I can, you know, he was thinking about future retirement. He was thinking all of that. There's nothing wrong to plan for all that, but there's everything wrong when you're deceptive about it. And then he said, I'm going to do this. He ran after Naaman, the general, and told Naaman, he says, my boss, Elisha, changed his mind. He says, I don't mind receiving some of these uh, benefits and then I'll bring back to my boss. So he took whatever benefits. The Bible says he was very happy because right now his dream will come true. 
as he arrived in the house, as he went into the door, he saw Elisha the prophet sitting down there, and Elisha asked him, Gehazi, where did you go? And the Bible tells us that right at that moment, Gehazi all of a sudden reminded that my boss is a prophet. <laughs> Just all of a sudden, right? And then the Bible tells us that the leprosy of Naaman was fully upon Gehazi. This story was captured in the Bible. In fact, this story captured a couple of chapters later how Gehazi one day met someone who says, aren't you the prophet for, aren't you the next in line? Can you imagine telling a story because of greed, it plunges you into a snare that you could not get out of it. You move forward to the New Testament. Ananias Sapphira sold a property, said, no, I gave everything to God, but he kept some. Greed, God judged them. Uh, you moved on, Judas Iscariot sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, just on and on. You find the Bible is full of stories, but the Bible wants us to think like that. The moment you are bound by greed, you set up a snare that potentially one day you fall into it and you could not get yourself out of it. You know, as a pastor, you have dealt with so many different cases. I can remember someone who, because of greed, went into gambling and, and, and oh, oh my good, cook up a, 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 I mean, this person earns about twenty to 30000 a month, and it was a single person, cook up a half a million, almost a one million debts, and could not do it. Uh, and, and wanted to commit suicide, and you know, the entire story, have to go to Singapore, and to avoid, you know, all of that. I mean, can you, when, you, when, you kind of, when you think through all of that, how in the world would someone fall into that trap? Because greed is a trap. So Jesus tells a parable to address potentially uh, the most, the clearest parable to smack into the face of greed. So he was actually preaching. So it was a kind of a little bit awkward moment uh, because it's like I'm preaching in the midst of my preaching and uh, all of a sudden, uh, let's say Pome, Pome is sitting right in front. Pome will stand up or Johnny, la, Johnny will stand up. And, and Johnny said, Pastor, could you tell Pome uh, that we need to re re redistribute our housework? <laughs> that would be very awkward, right? Because you're in the midst of preaching. So Jesus, of course, they, they don't have that, okay? They, they're, they're very good, okay? So Jesus in the midst of preaching, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, then someone in the crowd said to him, he says, Teacher, tell my brother, who is also in the crowd, to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it was very interesting because this person present the problem as a justice problem, not a greed problem. Are, are you with me? He, he presented to Jesus, Jesus, please help us to bring justice to my family. Ask him to divide the inheritance. He presented that. Now, greed has a way to always disguise itself. But it was interesting because Jesus understood what was in his heart and also understood what was in the other brother's heart. So Jesus said, he says, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. He says, actually, there is proper channel organization to do that. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist, it's an abundance of possession. And then he warns these two brothers, he says, watch out what's in your heart, what's lurking in your heart, what could be that little monster. He says, that is what we call all kinds of greed. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that if there's anything we need to guard, this is one thing that we need to guard. And he tells us that greed doesn't just appear in one form. Different one of us are greedy about something else. 
Some of us, we are greedy more about money. Some of us are greedy on certain possessions. Some of us are greedy about shoes. Some of us are greedy about clothes. Some of us are greedy about whatever. All of us have different form of greed. Some of us are greedy for power. But all these fall into all kinds of greed. Uh, in a very practical fashion, I think one extreme of greed is hoarder. Hoarder are people who just keep on hoarding and keep, 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 and you will never give your things away and you never throw things away. I don't know how many of you have actually met hoarders. I think as a pastor, I've had about two to three times in my pastoral life met people who are hoarders. Uh, there's one of our church members who one day said, Pastor, I could not live in my house and I, and, and I don't quite understand it. He says, I'll take, a fo- I'll take a video for you to take a look. And he took a video. And literally the whole house is just full of stack-up boxes and there's a very small little narrow road for you to navigate. And he says, Pastor, that is the place where I actually stay. Hoarders, people who just keep on hoarding, hoarding, hoarding. The other extreme is are people who keep on spending. Most of us are somewhere in between. How many of you are hoarder? Okay, never mind. How many of you are spender? Some of us, we are different. Monday, hoarder, Tuesday, spender. Okay, anyway, right? So we have these two extremes and it all derived because there's a sense of greed. I, I, I will never have enough. Now, when it comes to this whole entire thing, the world is very good to educate us to have more. So this is how today's generation think. As people have more and more, uh, people think what is the thing for. So people will say things like that, Pastor, you know, I need to have many different cars because I, for a certain business car, I must drive a certain business car. And then I've got my family car. And then I've got my weekend car. And which is why you ended up Many cars. Same with shoes, same with clothes, same with... That's just the way the world educates us. Same with you are having a, 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 a TV in your house and one day you are sitting down and saying, you know, it would be nice if we can watch TV while having dinner. You know, okay, then you, then you get a TV. And then you go upstairs and say, hey, it would be nice to have a TV in the room because I don't have to walk out to watch your TV. I can watch and go to bed and then you get a TV. So all of a sudden, you have so many TVs at every corner. So it's very easy to get into this, I always need more and it's never enough. So how in the world do you draw that line? I leave it personally to you, but I'm going to give you a couple of handles. And I think with these handles, you're able to navigate. And there's no right and wrong. Meaning that we are not going to have a greed policeman who go and say, that's a greedy. No, because every one of us are greedy, but every one of us think we are not. That's the problem. So, so we can never, you can never walk in someone's house and say, this is greedy because you've got three TV, you've got four. There's no such metrics. It's really up to us in our conviction. Okay? I'll come to that handle shortly. So then the Bible says, the Bible says, the next verse, he then told them this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Uh, which, if you're a businessman, you will experience this. Then he thought to himself, Remember, Gehazi thought to himself. This rich man thought to himself. He says, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. This is what he said, and then later part, this is what God says. Okay, so he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my buns and build bigger buns, and then I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then the Bible says, but God said to him. So one thing he said, one thing God said. He said, you fool. You know, the Bible called people who think certain way fool. And this is what I think God categorized as fool. They only live for themselves. If you were to look back 
you will find there were so many I and my in that little statement. Okay? Uh, so, so call, God called that fool because he only think about himself. Number two, he never think about being a blessing to others or being rich towards God. Number three, the Bible says he's a fool because he only think that life is all that it consists on the earth. But there's never anything beyond that. And I think anytime we navigate our life, just us, don't want to be a blessing to others, and thinking that the more we have accumulate, the better we are, then we potentially fall into that category of the Bible says, that's a fool. That's, that's, just, that's just wrong. Now God said to him, you fool. He says, the very night your life will be demanded from you, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then he says, this is how it will be with, which you read together, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I think the Bible tells us as clearly, as plainly as possible. He says, how in the world do you know whether, what is greed? He says, greed is you just want to keep so many things for yourself, but you do not be rich towards God. God has meant for us to have the capacity to earn so that we become a conduit but not a container. It's, it's not meant for us to contain, contain, but for us to be a conduit to blessing. God has meant for us to be a pipe, not a pail, if I can use that, that metaphor, that illustration. So the moment we have a container and a pale mentality, then the Bible says, that's not rich towards God. So how can I actually inch more towards be rich towards God? I give you four handles. It's not in the note, but I give you four handles. Okay, number one, the Bible is very clear. There is an earthly wealth that is a heavenly treasure. The Bible is very clear. Earthly wealth will never bring with us to heavenly. Never. But you can translate earthly wealth into heavenly treasure. You can. Whenever you choose to invest into a greater cost, being rich, helping people, whatever. He says then, you translate your earthly wealth into heavenly treasure. Don't, don't live your life as though this is all that it has. Number two, the Bible teaches us the principle of stewardship, which means that none of the things that actually we own belongs to us. It really belongs to God. And the last thing you want is to have to own the things that eventually owns you. So the Bible is very clear. Are you a good steward? So you ask yourself this question. This is how much I earn. Am I a good steward to get this kind of a car? Am I a good steward to get this many TVs? Am I a good steward to get... You've got to ask yourself. No one is going to tell you what is right and wrong. You have to navigate yourself and believe that these are the different handles that helps you to think through. Am I investing in heavenly treasure? Am I being a good steward of the things God has given unto me? Number three, you ask yourself, do I know how to be contented? Am I, am I living a life where I learn how to be contented? I learn to say no to certain things. And again, you can navigate your life accordingly to that. Nobody is going to tell you. Nobody can tell you that having seven pairs of shoes means contentment. Having 70 pairs of shoes is contentment. I don't know. And none of us will. But that is a question that you have to navigate. And there are so many other factors that helps to decide what kind of lifestyle that every one of us choose to have and to be. And finally... Do I honour God with my finance? Do I tithe? Do I give? Is generosity part of my life? 
And I think once you have these four handles, knowing well that earthly treasure doesn't, we cannot bring. Life is not measured by how much possession you have. Never. The Bible says never that. But do I translate earthly treasure, earthly wealth to heavenly treasure? Number two, am I a good steward of the things God has given unto me? And number three, am I contented? Am, am I someone who lives with a certain contentment, whether the house, the car, what I have? Am, am, I, am I always grateful? And number four, do I honour God with my finance? I think the more we know how to navigate our life with this four different principle, it moves me from storing up things for myself into being rich towards God. Now, potentially in the dialogue, we will get to talk through a little bit of some of this. How do I apply these four principles in exactly where I am? But what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that you should not be ambitious. God gave us the capacity to dream. We should do the best we can, work hard, and, and, and thank God for the capacity that God has given us to earn money. But do you do it for yourself? Do you use it only for yourself or you use it to be a blessing? You know, I begin this today's sermon with a little thought that every time when you get into greed, you snare, you put a snare in front of you. Um, I, I know it's a, it's a story I've, I've mentioned before, but let me just rehearse that little story. Uh, when I started to work in Datacraft, uh, I entered Datacraft the same month there was another of our church member who actually entered a company called Fujitsu. I entered the Datacraft. I was a sales. He was also doing sales. And for about every year, because of celebrating birthday, we'll just come together, have a meal. And the first one to three years, he always asks me this question. He says, Pastor, how did you do it? How did you do it surviving in Datacraft? You don't bribe, you don't do one-night stand, you don't bring clients for hanky-panky, you know, in fact, you hardly go out for dinner with them. How in the world can you be a salesperson and you do not entertain all these things? I said, I just decide not to. It's very simple. And, uh, and you know my story, right? And, and there's many, many times when I meet a client, I will, I will try to make a statement that I'm actually a pastor. And once I mention that, uh, not many people will come to a pastor and say, can you bring me out for a one-night stand with a... No, no, hardly people will do that. I, I already tell people I'm, I'm, you know, okay? So it's as simple as that. But I have a fair bit of cases that I need to, I need to navigate. Uh, but he struggled to do that. So the first year, he has to undertake money, you know, he has to bribe, and, and then he has to bring out... For, for a start, he doesn't want to bring people for one night stand, and eventually he brought people, then eventually he was part of it, you know. And so as we navigate somewhere about the fourth to fifth year, he came to me. So every year, he asked me the same question. Every year, I gave him the same answer, just say no. I said, really, you have to start somewhere with a no. Uh, on the fifth year, he came to me, I said, I, said, I realised you are asking this question just to, soothe your con just to soothe your conscience. But I honestly think that you have set up yourself a trap and you really love the world. You love the nightlife, you love the gold chain, you love the luxury car, you love the, you know, having a fair. And I told it to his face. But he was in a row and in a snare that he could not pick himself. So into many, many years it gets even more complicated. Uh, he started to have a lot of fights because he was drunk. Almost every night was in a bar, was drunk. He started to have fights, ended up bruises. He started to 
I had affairs, short-term affairs, long-term affairs, and it was really, really complicated. His life was really, really in a mess. Uh, so obviously by then, he, he is totally away from God. Uh, in fact, there were, there were many couple of nights, actually a couple of months, it will happen one time. He will call me in the middle of the night and he's drunk already and he still will be crying on the phone and what kind of a life am I? F God, you know, and then all that. And, and you know, Pastor, what can you help me? You cannot help me. No power, you know. I still don't know why he called me. So he will, he will, he will talk for about 30, 40 minutes. And I'll just put my phone there on and then let him talk, 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 talk. You know, then I say, hey, you know, you know, come back to God. And then he'll have God and then he'll talk, talk, talk. And then suddenly it will, and then he'll fall asleep and then uh, the, the conversation will end, you know. And it just go on and on. And I think the most complex things that he, he was stuck in was one time, he was into many legal cases because of double take. He not only took from his the other, the other company took from his own company and he, and he was into many, many legal cases and many, many fines and really life was just plunged. Uh, so move forward. Remember a snare, a trap. Uh, one morning while we were worshipping God, maybe about 10 years ago, 8 years ago, I received a text. It was from the wife. He says that uh, he committed suicide. And he described that day, he was very quiet that morning. He... He woke up and then he looked at his mom and says, Mom, I'm so sorry. He jumped to the, he went to the balcony and uh, he held on the balcony for a couple of seconds when someone rushed there, they saw him and then he says, I'm so sorry, I've got nothing left and he, he committed suicide. After he passed away, obviously I got the permission to share this story. Uh, he left only maybe about 20 over ringgit in his bank. For someone who potentially doing sales in the IT world, you easily will take in three hundred to 400000 a year. Easily. If you're someone who do massive deal. And with all that he has done, he potentially could have even more. But because of all that he has done as well, he has lost almost everything. I thought about a snare. I thought about so many different people that now ended up bankruptcy, doing all kinds of hanky-panky situation. Do you know why? Because greed is a snare. It sets up a snare that we can easily fall into it. I want to encourage every one of us, don't live your life on that path. Live your life on the path of being rich towards God. Understand that no matter how much things you have, there's nothing you can take away. Understand that you can translate earthly treasure to heavenly treasure. And that is where no white ends, no moth. You know why we condone this? Why we just set up it? Because white end. We have to treat this. If not, one day I'm going to fall. I cannot, cannot, I just, just going to get away. Right? And then understand, learn the joy of contentment. And finally, honour God with your finance. Something, if you know these four things and you try to navigate through these four things, it moves you to what we call being rich towards God. Closer and closer and stronger. And maybe one day you will come to a realization in your life 
that, hey, you know what? That's how much I, I want to be a blessing. I give to a cause. Give to something that you're passionate about uh, so that. And if you don't know where to give, tell me. Come and ask me. There are so many things that we are supporting uh, in a different, different, different ways. Uh, I've, I've got a Myanmar pastor that totally displays because of the war, we are supporting the kids uh, in a certain place. And there's so many. There's a Ghana church plant that I came to know about the pastor that's in need. There's a Vietnam church plant that uh, one of the pastors there is struggling and we decided to help out. And there are just so many different ways that we can actually be of a blessing. Remember, God has meant for us not to have a container mentality, but to be a conduit, uh, to be a blessing. Can I go to amen? All right, let's pray. Let's stand. And then we're going to pray. We're going to jump into dialogue. Hopefully, we can unpack some questions that you may have in your heart. God, we come humbly before you. God, every one of us struggle with some form of greed. But I pray as we deal with this, you help us to move towards the pathway of being rich towards you. Ask ourselves a couple of questions. Do I invest in heavenly treasure? Am I a good steward? Good. That means I don't own any of the things that I have. It really belongs to you. It really is all yours, oh God. It's all yours. Do I understand contentment? Or I'm on this path of never ending to get a certain lifestyle and a certain spot that I want? And do I honour you with my finance? So God, I'm asking you, as we take this time to ponder and to do our own check, God, I pray that you speak to us and that you allow us to have a conviction to live our life not in the temporal, but for the future. So I bless everybody and I ask of you that we'll be greater stewards of the things you give unto us. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.